Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Giving glory, giving honor, giving praise 
your power to work in us and through us till we are changed to be more like you. And all the nations will see your glory revealed and worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah, hallelujah, by the blood of Christ we stand. Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every land, giving glory, giving honor, giving praise unto the Lamb of God. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you
About 25 years ago, we were living in Atlanta. And one Friday evening, we loaded up with a big white van with all the kids. We got on the highway and we started traveling north. Now we left about five or six o'clock, so you, you know it's 12 hours. We traveled all night. We got finally to St. Mary's. Went to my parents' house, went to sleep in the basement. About noon, we woke up and we went upstairs and looked out and the world had turned white. So Sandra says to the kids, let's go outside. And she gets the kids dressed up. Little Jessie, she was just under two years old. She could walk, she could talk a bit. And she gets her, her snowsuit on, goes outside, and she's just fascinated because there, for the first time, remember, she'd grown up in Atlanta. For the first time, she sees snow coming down. And then she bends down and she wants to pick it up. So she reaches down and, ah, it's cold, Mama! <laughs> oh, if we could only look at the world around us with the wonder of a child who sees miracles in snowflakes. Last year, a group of us gathered together most Wednesday evenings to read through and discuss scriptures of the Old Testament. Now we began with the book of Joshua and it speaks of the invasion of the Holy Land by the 600,000 people descended from Jacob, the man God had renamed as Israel. The 12 tribes miraculously overran local cities, either destroying them or chasing them out, although in some cases the Israelites ignored God's express command to destroy the city, and they let them remain. And we then moved on to the book of Judges, where we saw a cycle repeated about every 40 years. The people of Israel would turn away from the God Yahweh who had brought them into the land and brought them out of Egypt. They'd forget God begin worshiping some other gods or goddesses. God would then allow some other group of people to enslave the Israelites. And finally, the people would begin to pray once again to Yahweh to rescue them, and a judge like Deborah or Gideon or Samson would arise to lead Israel against those who enslaved them, defeating them with God's strong and ever-present miraculous help. Things would go well for another 40 years or so, and then the people would once again turn to other gods and goddesses, and the cycle would repeat. And this continued for several hundred years, and there was a tremendous amount of bloodshed during this time. As, as uh, Karen Larry would say, there's a whole lot of killing going on. But eventually, after people kept forgetting about God, we also got to see many, many miracles of God's providence for God's people. And so we then read the, the first two books, the books of Samuel, and learned that the people insisted on a king to fight the battles. Samuel was very upset, for up to now their king had been God alone. And after warning the people that the human kings would not fight the battles, but they just recruit their young men to fight the battles, and that they would hire the young women to do all sorts of chores around the place, and he would require taxes from everyone. The people still insisted upon the king, so Samuel anointed Saul as king. 
And when Saul stopped listening to God, Samuel anointed David to be king, a man who did listen to God. And so as a teenager, he miraculously defeated a man who was nine foot tall in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And there we left things as we took a break for the summer. And now we gather on Thursday evening at 7 p.m. and we're working through the book of Hebrews. David wrote many of the Psalms, but he also became the greatest king in the history of Israel. Living about 1,000 B.C., he conquered all the land from Suez to the south of the Euphrates River. Lebanon negotiated a trade agreement with Israel, lumber for food. Damascus was under David's effective control, plus the lands that we today call Jordan. And David's son Solomon used his God-given wisdom to control the trade routes between what's today Iraq and Egypt and became extraordinarily wealthy with tolls. But after Solomon became fell apart during the Civil War, the kingdom just fell right apart as chronicled in the books of Kings and Chronicles, and it never again rose to its former glory. Assyrians and Egyptians and Babylonians and Persians, then Alexander the Great and eventually the Romans, took turns controlling the area, as they still did during the time of Jesus. But throughout all of these centuries, there was always a yearning for a good and wonderful and wise king, a man who understood and followed God, like David had been. Well, a thousand years after David, that man arrived. He was descended from David on both his mother and his earthly father's side, but his true father was God. His name was Jesus. We call him the Christ, a word that means Savior. The original disciples called him the Messiah, which means the same thing. One day during Holy Week, shortly before he was about to be arrested and killed, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples pointed out the magnificence of the temple buildings. And Jesus just shook his head sadly and said, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And they walked out of the city to the Mount of Olives nearby where they could see the temple clearly glistening in the sunlight of that afternoon. And the four core disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they asked Jesus when these things would happen, when the destruction would come, and how they would know that the end was near. And Jesus, first of all, warned them not to be deceived by anyone. It's a good warning to follow still today. My son Andrew, who recently turned 26 years old, is fond of pointing out that in his short life, at least six people have set firm dates for the end of the world. Six times the world has been claimed to be ready to be destroyed. And that's just what he can remember in his short life. Jesus said that there will be false messiahs people claiming to be Jesus' return. There will be wars and rumors of wars. He said, but don't be alarmed. The end isn't near yet. There will be big wars and earthquakes and famines, but these are a long way before the end. Just like today, you see, people in those days got nervous when there were wars and predictions of wars, when there were earthquakes and volcanoes and famines and economic troubles. But you know, these things just happen. This is the way life is when we live in a fallen world. People fight and people
people do weird and crazy things and the earth trembles. But don't sweat it. Jesus told his disciples that the gospel has to first be preached to all the nations, all the groups of people, and that his disciples must be ready to speak to people as the Holy Spirit guides them. He said people will hate Christians, but disciples should stand firm to the end and then they'll be saved. But then Jesus referred back to an event that had happened once before. It's not in our Protestant Bibles, but in the three books of the Maccabees, which you will find in a Catholic Bible, the history of the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament is written. He said an abomination will be put in the temple sanctuary before things are destroyed. And that had happened once before. After Alexander the Great had conquered most of the Middle East, and died. His four leading generals split the whole area up. Antiochus IV Epiphanes eventually became the ruler of what is modern Turkey and Palestine as well as Iraq and Iran. And then, as explained in the three books of the Maccabees, Antiochus IV Epiphanes decided to show the Jews who was in charge as far as he was concerned. And so he took a great pig, and he sacrificed it in the temple on the altar of God, an unclean beast being sacrificed on the temple, in the temple. He sprinkled the blood of that pig around, and he sprinkled pig's broth on the scrolls of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and he put out the eternal lamp that burned in the temple. But God was in control. This great sacrilege led to a successful revolt. The Jews kicked them out, and it became the basis of Hanukkah, when the sanctuary was reconsecrated, and enough oil was miraculously found to keep that lamp burning for eight days. This was all predicted in the book of Daniel, chapters 9 through 12. You can read it. And so Jesus points his disciples back to say that this will happen again before the end. And he tells the disciples that when this happens, it's time to head for the hills. Don't even go home to get a go bag. It will be a terrible time. But it's only after that that people will see Jesus coming in clouds with great power and glory with his angels. And at that time, he will gather his people from the ends of the earth and from the ends of the heavens. But no one knows what this will happen. Not even Jesus. Only God the Father. So live your life every day as if today will be the last day on earth. So what does this mean for us? And, and another thing, but you know that discussion on the Mount of Olives happened almost 2,000 years ago. Isn't it long enough? Well, I taught my children growing up that there are three possible futures. The first future is that life goes on pretty much the way life has gone on for the last hundred years. So kids, get a good education, study hard, work hard, learn a good skill. Or there's a second possible future. Civilization collapses. So know how to grow a garden, how to fish, have supplies available to keep you going until that garden comes in. Or third, Jesus returns. Make sure you're following him and your loved ones are following him. 
be ready for eternal life at all times. Three possible futures. Pretty much what we've got. Or civilization collapses. Or Jesus returns. You see, civilizations have collapsed before and Jesus did not come. Jesus and the temple were destroyed by the Romans. In, I'm sorry, Jerusalem <coughs> and the temple were destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And the Jews were evicted from the city in 132 AD after the city had been rebuilt. Rome fell in 410. Even Constantinople, the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, fell in 1453. And all the great cities of the world have been destroyed or occupied at one time or the other over the last 2,000 years. London burned in the 1600s. Moscow was burned by the French in 1812. Paris surrendered to the Germans in 1940. And five years later, Berlin was bombed into rubble. And Tokyo was destroyed also. <coughs> the city of Antioch, who sent out Paul and Silas and, and Barnabas. It was destroyed by an earthquake a couple of years ago. New York burned in September 1776, and Chicago burned in the Great Fire of 1871. Even Washington, D.C. was burned by the British during the War of 1812. So don't worry so much about what you see in our country. Keep your eye on Jerusalem. There will need to be a temple in Jerusalem before an abomination can be put in the sanctuary of the temple. And the gospel will need to be preached to all groups of people around the world. And it is here that we can do our part, speaking to our friends and neighbors and families about the gospel. All people need to hear. Tell them what God has done for you in your life. And be sure to live up to what Jesus asks of his followers. Learn the scriptures. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you do, then you will have the fruit of the Spirit, which is extremely attractive to people who are considering Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, after all, if you'll remember, is love and joy, is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come from trying to produce the fruit. It comes from learning to walk with God. And to know God and walk with God, we have to understand God and see God in Scripture and in the world around us. It's more than reading. It's also learning who God is through our experience and the experience of others. And this is something that's very difficult for our American culture today. We see about 400 years ago we began to commit to the sterile idea that I believe what I see. That everything that happens in our life can be explained by science and reason. And the things that we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears and touch with our fingers, smell with our noses and taste with our tongues. We've bought into the idea that everything has an earthly cause. This is the window through which we look to see the world. But you know, deep down, we know better. Deep down, there are cracks in this view of the world. This pane of glass that we look at the world through and insist that there is nothing beyond what we can 
success and logically deduce. For many of our young people, naturally, they've rebelled against this narrow view. They believe in magic. Many people believe in ghosts. Many people believe in ESP. Many believe in miracles. They just don't believe in a dry, sterile religion of ideas only. For floating through the cracks in the scientific pane of glass through which we mostly see the world, there's little wisps of the supernatural coming in. Things that can't be explained without turning to something beyond the natural world. Miracles. And so to grow closer to God, we have to learn to see the world with our heart eyes. We have to learn to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to our soul in the back of our mind. We need to smell the fragrance of Jesus and taste the flavor of, his, of the sacrifice of Jesus in our communion bread and juice. And we need to touch a world around us that has miracles like snowflakes and trees covered in ice and rainbows in the sky and a God who came to earth as a little baby to teach us what love truly is. Look at the world around you. How crazy is it that part of the air turns solid and falls like a feather onto the ground every time the temperature drops? <coughs> How crazy is it that a man and a woman can spend a few minutes together and nine months later there's a new tiny man or woman who grow up to do the same? How wild is it that millions of people worldwide testify to the reality of God's existence and love for us? Miracles happen around us every day. You realize that 5,000 flights, commercial airplane flights, happen every day in America. Over 30 million people, one-tenth of our population, flew over the Thanksgiving week. And it still makes big news when one doesn't land safely. 5,000 a day, and yet it's been years since one did not land safely. Now that takes hard work, yes, but it also takes miraculous intervention on the part of a loving God. You know that every time one's in trouble, there are many people praying. As Christmas approaches, I challenge you to look around at the world with the fresh eyes of a little girl or a little boy who's seen snow for the very first time. See the wonder and see the miracles God has given us and you will become much closer to the God who made us. For he made wonder. Wonders are all around us. Hospitals and medical doctors have doubled our lifespan in the last 150 years because millions of men and women rose above the natural idea of I'll take care of just myself and instead turned to medical research to take care of everybody else or became doctors and nurses to help other people. It's a miracle that's inspired by the God who sacrificed himself for all of us. You know, wars are always going on, but the miracle is that most of the world is at peace today. Famines happen constantly, but the miracle is that most of the world is better fed than ever before. The specter of nuclear war is before us, but the miracle is that it's been over 78 years since those bombs have been used on people despite the evil of the world. Do you think somebody has been helped in the world? So look around you during this Advent Christmas season. 
Try to look at the world with the eyes of a little child who sees snowflakes for the very first time and recognize that there is indeed a God who loves you, who prepared this world just for you, and who knows everything that is happening in your personal life and is actively making miracles every day just for you. The Lord will arrive one day when everything is truly falling apart. Just for you, and you, and you, and me. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.